So, um, what are your favorite moped sounds? Find a cold one. <laughs> I don't know, like touch a flower, is it moving? Like, no, nah, feel pretty locked up. Sounds like you're fucked, dude. Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Moped Money Podcast. Yeah, that's right. Uh, two weeks in a row, back to back. We're doing it. I can't fucking believe it, right? Uh, <laughs> didn't fall off the bandwagon, hit you with a, an every other weeker again. Um, yeah, welcome to episode 225. And... I have my homie Greg already on the phone. Greg, say what's up, dude. What's up, guys? Dude, man. Um, real quick, moped fucking, uh, you know, business out of the way kind of thing, I guess. Dude, congrats on everyone who did Baker's Dozen. Like, the race is over. Fucking Utah salt flats to New Orleans, like 2,300 miles or something. And they, they banged it out, dude. Everyone made it. Fucking shout out to Jimmy from Second Chance a Moped Podcast. He won this year's race. Shout out to Chad Burke and everyone else that was involved, dude. Maitland for keep putting this thing on. Um, I can't remember a third rider off the top of my head. There was only three race, three teams this year, but like, you know, he stayed in it. Like, DNF broke down. Fucking put his bike back together. I'm sure if you guys listen, uh, Jimmy uh, from Second Chance is gonna be doing a, a rundown recap with with each team so you know be sure to like keep an eye out on his podcast because that'll give you all the details and information like i have no no need to do it because <laughs> because he was he was there he was out there so he's got firsthand experience and they'll get down to it you get all the details you want but yeah shout out to them um for those who don't know if you're not paying attention to mopedarmy.com like you should fucking should be uh rally season is in full fucking swing and next weekend is the pedal cutter. I mean, the pedal cutters. Uh, you can't premix friendship. So if you're out on the West Coast, dude, um, you know, go hit Portland. That's gonna be a sick rally. Then into this month, we got Daggers doing their thing down in Nashville, Tennessee. So last year, Nashville's Dagger Rally was a banger. This year, they're fucking supposed to be going swimming, taking us to a swim hole somewhere. So that might be a good one to hit. And then right after that, we got Legion coming up. In early July, July 7th through 9th in Philadelphia. It's all the East Coast fam. I expect to fucking see everybody out there. RVA is going to be rolling deep. We already secured an Airbnb because we are bougie. No more sleeping in tents underneath the bridge on the streets of Philadelphia. Uh, we're, we're too old for that now. We got it. We got it. We get, we need beds. Um, <laughs> and then right after that, uh, July 14th through 16th, we got... Uh, Moped Brothers present Nacho Nacho Average Rally. So that's going to be up in Michigan, Ann Arbor. And yeah, dude, I'll fucking keep running down the rest of them. You guys know what the time it is, dude. Goatheads, Wizards, Dirty Running Broads, Hot and Ready. There's a ton of rallies every weekend until like September, the end of September, October or something. There's something going on. So check out the fucking website, mopedarmy.com. Like, you know, get with your buddies, decide on which rally you're going to hit, because if you're in mopeds and you care about these stupid little bikes, like that's the best time to have. Go to a rally, see all the other people who are obsessed with these stupid little bikes and, you know, get to see maybe some rare bike that you've never seen in person before or, you know, see some dude's bike that you only see on the Internet, you know, 
for like the last three years and go break down and end up in a chase trailer drinking whiskey. All right. That's it. That's done. The rant's out of the way. Dude, I did that. I feel like I did that all in one breath, Greg. Uh, you definitely did. <laughs> My fucking throat hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I was impressed with the, the the delay in needing a bed. Uh, so <laughs> I feel like as long as we've been into anything two wheels, yeah, then it's time to sleep on the ground. That that was twenty years ago. Yeah, Dad, it's definitely definitely been a, been a while. <laughs> I, <laughs> I remember, dude, like maybe three three years ago, like at least. I've had a lot of bad experiences like sleeping in Philadelphia at moped rallies, dude. Just like, all right, where are we going? Southside Philly. All right, cool. Like the neighborhood's gotten like bougier. Like it's like gingerfying pretty hard now. So it's like yeah. nice Airbnbs with hot tubs, like a block away from like, you know, the rally spot that used to just be like super sketch. And we were like just popping tents up like underneath the bridge on a sidewalk, like hobo camp status. <laughs> that's it's, like, I mean, that's urban that's camping. And that's just bike life. Yeah, you know, dude. there's tons of like chopper rallies where cats are driving homemade choppers across the country, sleeping under tractor trailers, anywhere there's a bit of shade. Uh, that's just bike life, man. You know, yeah. you can't enjoy the two wheel life if you're not uh, out there grinding. And, yeah, it can't, you can't know, be scared uh, to get a little grungy. Oh, no, man. For sure. For sure. I mean, there's a time for a bed, you know, when it's raining, but <laughs> yeah, with, with your buds and, and you're having a good time, man, you just sleep wherever you got to sleep. Yeah. Especially like if you're up, if you're, if you know you're there for the weekend or some shit, you're trying to get your party on like as hard as you can. Like there's definitely the, the ones of us that are like, you know, sticklers for like being in bed by 10 and like, oh, so you guys tomorrow, I got to wake up early to go get my coffee. And then there's the ones who are like up all night. Been talking four in the oh, morning, still still doing that's cocaine. Like, <laughs> well, I'm I'm on the grind twenty four seven. When I when I show up to a, to an event, I'm 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 there to ride, there to hang out. I'll be the first man up, last man down. Yeah, uh, I want to experience it all. Yeah, dude, I remember last. I think last year we had that we had an Airbnb, but I was at the spot like in Philly, like super late, and it's like. Oh well, I guess I'll hit the Airbnb now. It's the last one to show up, and I and I, I hadn't even checked in there. I didn't, I didn't even see the spot. They were like, "Dude, there's a hot tub on the roof," and I'm like, "What?" And I was like in a hot tub, three a.m. in the morning, just like by myself, just like, "Oh, this is perfect." <laughs> oh man, we we did we raced Daytona this year. Um, so I had a bunch of my Euro guys over. We'll probably talk about that in a little bit, but uh, we uh, yeah, man, we had pool, hot tubs. Um, yeah, it was every night we were in the, the pools or hot tubs, three in the morning, four in the morning. Uh, yeah, just living that best life, uh, maximizing the fact that normally we don't stay anywhere with a pool or a hot tub or yeah. right on the so, – You got to embrace mean, any, it when you get a chance. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you're spending the money, man, use it, you know. So yeah. they told us we couldn't swim past 10. <laughs> like, hell no, man. We were in the pool at like four in the morning chilling. <laughs> All right. So those who don't know, um, let's get it. Let's let's kind of get down to it. Um, this episode is going to be a little different than normal. Like, if you guys have been listening to the last like you know couple months of podcasting, like I've been trying to like every once in a while step a little bit outside of our like moped world, but like still keep it in this like bike two wheeled related activities. And I don't know, just try to mix it up some. Like we had our buddy Zach on. A couple weeks ago, that's a, you know, Virginia's only like FMX rider. 
you know, got to hear him talk about his like wild adventures of like, you know, touring the world, like flipping and doing knickknacks and fucking heel clickers and bullshit, wrecking his bike on ramps in Japan and shit. And this week we're going to talk to my buddy, Greg from North Carolina. Who's like, he has an interesting like tale of two wheel vehicles. That's like broad spanning, like lots of different things. And I don't even know it all. So I'm really excited to just kind of like talk to you, Greg, and like kind of get down to it. Like, yeah, man. Well, you know, our event started back when we were all in, in Richmond and, and that was small CC, uh, two wheels. So it wasn't always mopeds. Um, yeah. but you know, anything with two wheels, man, we were on it. Bike, yeah. fixed gears, head, all the things, bicycles, everything. Richmond, yeah, hardcore so, kids, fucking running around, getting in trouble. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that just wasn't Richmond hardcore. That was just East coast style. You know, we, yeah, we yeah. brought that flavor yeah. everywhere. Yeah. I think my love for bikes has been, been around since, um, you know, since, uh, I was young adult, um, got my first bike and it really just kind of changed how I thought about things from, uh, what I wanted to do with my life, but also about how I could get around in life. Um, you know, there's a, there's a best point where, you know, my brother and I, that's all we had with two wheels. Yeah. You know, we didn't have cars and stuff. We just whipped on two wheels and snow, rain, sleet, shine, didn't matter. We were on two wheels and, and, uh, you know, I'm very still much about that life. Obviously yeah. I've, I've got a truck and some other stuff now, but, uh, yeah, bikes are just this like ingrained in me. It's mm-hmm. this intrinsic thing that, uh, I've lived, you know, live, sleep, breathe every day. So uh, to, I, I kind of want to mention this for those who are listening. Cause like everyone who's like heard the podcast has heard like my long drawn out story on like how I got in the mopeds, like riding fixed gears, living in Richmond, my roommate got a bike and then a couple of other friends had bikes and how stadiums were running around Richmond doing their thing. But like Greg is like kind of like a key figure in this. Cause his brother, Brian was aka sneaky P was my roommate who got the first moped that like, that made me be like, damn, maybe I'll get a moped. Like he's the dude that I drove down the street to pick up a blue pook maxi out of like some random like backyard in Richmond who, that he proceeded to like paint powder, you know, Panther pink, powder and yeah. make it a fucking ripper, like building it in, our, in the fucking dugout of our, of our, of our house that we rented like in Richmond. So like, Greg's like key like tied in with that because he was like you know they're 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 bros like they were like the our like our like brother fucking dudes from North Carolina it's like there was like this weird bond from like you know Greensboro to Richmond and like oh you know, for sure like it was yeah. cool like to to see that and see these dudes come up here all the time and like how he ended up Brian ended up being my roommate was really weird and then they got in the mopeds and then like because of him getting a moped if he Brian never got a moped I probably would have never got into mopeds yeah like, real talk. How trajectories work yeah and Brian was into two wheels for me because back home in North Carolina you know I had bikes so uh and we always liked working on stuff so it was just kind of this love language that we had that you know, we like working on stuff. We like building stuff, being different. And what, uh, what was your first bike as a kid? Like, did you like have like like bikes like was, that were motorized growing up, or was it just like bicycles no, and stuff? No. So I, you know, the the crazy thing is, is I was given a old classic motorcycle um, when I was quite uh, quite young. It was a BSA, and uh, it ended up being Brian's bike. I ended up selling it to him many years later, and then we sold it to a friend. That, uh, but that was like that was the, the crusty sweaty treasure that, that, you know, at the time I could never figure out how to get it to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a very simple bike, but, uh, just required tools and knowledge I didn't have at the time. 
so that kind of got shelved. And in the in the meantime, you know, picked up some small Hondas and picked up some small mopeds, and and anything that had two wheels, uh, I was I was game for. I had a um, I had a Sears Allstate uh, for a long time. Um, it was a uh, a poop saber uh, is what they actually called it. Um, that was a 50 CC that we converted to like 77 CC. Um, but it had a manual transmission, but I, mm-hmm. I rocked it as a moped because nobody, it was so small. Everybody just kind of looked at it as a moped, but yeah, I remember uh, that bike, dude, course. that thing was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and somehow figured out how to just keep that thing running. And it just always translated into more and more and more before you knew it. You know, we had DT one tens, we've had, you know, just anything and anything that had two wheels that was cheap that we could pick up, flip, ride, get other homies on. I mean, I think that was another thing was like always getting projects and having stuff to get to the homies, you know, someone would be like, Hey man, I got 700 bucks. I want to get riding. Let's go. Yeah. You know, and there would be a poop maxi or, you know, like a, a little 85 floating around a 65 floating around. Brian was on that, um, uh, YS one, YG one Yamaha for a long time, that blue and white one. Mm-hmm, I remember that. Totally moped, but it was small, like a moped, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, Crazy story about that. I remember it getting stolen when him and, Ter- and Mike Terry lived together. Uh, and this cat was driving down a um, Broad Street in Richmond. Uh, obviously, had just stolen it. And uh, uh, one of the um, uh, another moped guy in Richmond knew that knew it and got alongside him and got the kid stopped and, and got Brian's head back. But you know that's that's the the biggest thing is like you know since I was eighteen, seventeen, eighteen, just always loved two wheels, always had something uh, in my pocket, always working on something, riding yeah. something. BSA was the first motorcycle uh, two wheel thing that I was ever given or owned, uh, and that translated to a lot more of my life. Um, you know, started a business restoring British bikes. Um, yeah, I remember like you like. Uh you were like doing like some like computer shit for a while or work for some spot. And then like yep. a couple of years later, I turned around and it's like, yo, Brian's like got, I mean, Greg's got like runs like, yeah, Greg's got like all these BSAs. He's like super deep in BSAs. And I was like, and I started like, you know, following your shit and watching. It's just like, yo, you were, you got so deep down that BSA, like Euro <laughs> bike hole. it was out yeah. of nowhere to me. Like to me, it was out of nowhere. Cause at that time you weren't in Richmond, you were like, you know, in North Carolina. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, is that like prior to the Richmond, you know, like, yeah, I was into, uh, cafe racers and just kind of old vintage bikes and learning the history and, um, but also learning how to work on them. And, and yeah, just got set up with life and just said, fuck it, man, I'm going to go do my own thing and start my own shop, restoring bikes, fixing bikes. And, uh, that grew, that grew and grew some more and, and, um, you know, without, without sacrifice and heartache and headache, you know, working seven days a week and mm-hmm. not the ride as much but definitely seeing your friends and and you know the community come together and get behind you and, and support you so I feel, uh, like, I feel like no matter what like whether it's like wrenching on mopeds or like building furniture or like any kind of thing that's kind of like a niche like skill that you have to like trade that you have to like really learn and like figure out on your own and teach yourself and read the internet and like buy and stack all these well, bikes and stuff like it, it's tricky and it, and it takes a lot of commitment and time because at first you're not really making money doing this. No. Like it's like no. everybody who owns a moped shop in the country, like they all have the same story, you know, like, yeah, like we own all these bikes, we got all this stuff, but it's like, it's hard work. And like, you're not like making a killing at first, you know? 
Yeah. And, 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 I think, and I think that's the most important thing for anybody listening to this that wants to go down that, that dream. Like, don't do it for the money. You know, you, your heart's got to be in it. Your mind's got to be in it. And it's got to be the life that you want. Uh, I certainly didn't get in it for the money. I got into it because it's what I loved and it's what I was passionate about. And that passion brought me customers. Um, it's taken me overseas. It's taken me to, uh, you know, uh, the film industry. It's taken me all over. And uh, I wouldn't have gotten there if I wasn't so passionate and headstrong on wanting to be on a bike or working on bikes or helping people with bikes. Um, that's the first and foremost. I mean, anybody that's got a successful shop in this industry, didn't it didn't come natural. It didn't, didn't come because mommy and daddy gave them $10 million. Yeah. It became they got in the trenches and learned to fix their stuff and they got good at it and learned to fix their friend's stuff and got even better. And, you know, they've been able to make a business out of it. And that's exactly where, you know, we've been or where I've been. Uh, you know, I grew from a one man shop and now we got over 40 employees. So, uh, you know, we're certainly not far, uh, not done growing, uh, but we're still far from where we want to be and, and where I think I can take this. Yeah. Um, and it's been exciting along the way, but, you know, I don't have kids. I don't have a, uh, you know, married, but, um, you know, my, my life is this business. It's growing the two wheel community. It's growing, uh, you know, like you said earlier on, there's so many different facets that we're in. We're in racing, we're in dealerships, we're, uh, e-commerce, you know, so we have all these gamuts that we're running all the time. And that's, that's just been my focus in my, my life for the past 15, 10 years, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So like, tell me about like when you, when you first, like, took the leap to commit to like working on bikes and like make trying to make this like your career. Oh man. That's, you know, I, I look back at that because it's, it's still a fun time in my life where, uh, I had no clue what the fuck I was doing. Um, one thing was certain was that corporate America wasn't for me. Um, I wasn't interested in, and, and although I had really good corporate success and, and, you know, I had a great job and, you know, an awesome career path that I could have stayed on. And, and it just wasn't for me. Um, and I knew when I left that the only thing I wanted to do was figure out how to work on bikes the rest of my life. I didn't have any specific goal. I didn't have any um, idea of how I was going to do it or what it was going to look like other than I had tools, I had lifts, uh, and I had someone willing to rent me some space out of the shop uh, and, uh, yeah, so that was, that was the beginning, um, you know, set up shop and I already had a couple, a couple classic restorations we were working on. Uh, so it was bringing the money. I was doing it at night and on the weekend. So mm -hmm. for the first couple months, it was cool because my bills were getting paid and everything was kosher, uh, you know, just on those couple jobs. But, you know, the second that Google picked up, I was a business. The second, you know, people started coming by, I had a local magazine come by and run an article on me. They thought it was really kind of cool and fun what I was doing because here are all these old antique bikes and old things. And, you know, um, they just thought that was rad. Um, so that got my name out a little bit more. Before you know it, you know, we were open, uh, you know, nine to six every day. Nice. Uh, and what, and kind then, of, what kind of bikes were you working on? Just for those who don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. So it, just everything. Uh, anything with two wheels, man. Classics uh, from the 30s and 40s all the way to brand new sport bikes. Um, you know, in the beginning I was really like apprehensive about working on new stuff. Um, you know, it's not that, not that it's any harder than a moped or any harder than say uh, a classic bike, but it's a different skill set, different clientele. Um, but 
you know, yeah, the first couple sport bikes that came through, uh, you know, was nervous about, um, you know, getting stuff done on it. And I knew what my potential was. I knew what I could do. And I knew that I was doing the best job for the amount of money we were charging. Nobody could beat my prices. Um, but it's still kind of apprehensive when someone shows up with a $25,000 BMW, you know, sport bike and then want you to change their wheels. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, the first couple of those you get, you're like, holy shit. Or like, you know, Harley Road Glide, you know, here's this. Twenty-five, thirty-five, forty-five thousand dollar machine. You gotta, you gotta change tires on. You know, um, so you know it's a little bit of, you know, some stress and some anxiety there when you get when you get those expensive pieces in. But you know, leaning back on that experience and that knowledge and, and how I felt about the situation, I knew that I could do it and I knew I could do these things. So um, yeah, you just kind of put one foot in front of another, and you know, doors open up and you just walk through them. So. Yeah. Um, you know, our business started out with just restoration, um, and, you know, now we're in, we own two dealerships, um, we service, restore everything. Um, you know, it's not one bit of the industry. We do fab work, machining. Um, so there's not one part of this industry that we haven't been in, seen, or, uh, you know, physically worked ourselves. How did you think it kind of like progressed like in the beginning? Like once you, cause I, cause I remember you were doing all like the BSAs and the Nordens and all yeah. like the vintage stuff. Like, and then you say you started getting into like the newer things, like did yeah, that, open, so that just, open more doors or? Yeah, it opened up a lot of doors because what ended up happening is, you know, you got a homie that's got a newer bike. You've been working on his old bike. Yeah, hey man, can you put tires on my new bike? Sure, sure I can. Uh, before you know it, he tells five other guys, 10 other guys, 15 other guys. And before you know it, you know, you've got a street bike posse, you know, showing up to uh, your shop you know, wanting tires and chains and sprockets or whatever. So, you know, that's the progression is, is really, you know, I just had in mind, I was just going to restore bikes and just build custom one-off stuff, which we still do. Um, but, uh, you know, when this, what I'm going to call gravy work shows up, the sport bike tires, the sport bike change, the oil changes, the battery replacement, uh, you know, that was just, I looked at it from a simple business perspective. It was easy money. Uh, it was clients that I didn't have prior, uh, to doing it. And, uh, it allowed me to grow and allowed me to expand my business. Uh, from that money, I was able to buy new equipment, new tools, uh, and expand. So, you know, just sort of opened up this new chapter in my life by taking in all that new stuff. What was like your, your second spot after? Cause like, cause I feel like you were kind of like in a smaller spot, like in the beginning, like, you know, you're just renting yeah. someone. So I, yeah, how yeah, long no. from there did you like, you know, expand into something bigger? Um, I kind of got to think about this trajectory because it's a pretty hard one. Uh, I would say like, like 2010, 12, 13, somewhere in that ballpark, I was in a storage unit, like, a like a paid monthly storage unit. And I was just doing restaurants out of there. I had me and Brian had two lifts, three lifts, uh, tons of equipment, welders, everything. Uh, and then when I decided to do this on my full time, um, I met a guy, um, in, in Greensboro who leased me the bottom part of his building for, I think it was like $800 a month. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't a lot of money. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, uh, that I would call that, like that shop was version, uh, 2.0. Uh, that was Ironworks motorcycles. Um, and then, um, in 20, this is a tough one. Cause I always forget to say 2017, for 2018, I moved into a much larger facility across town. Um, 2018, 
um, beginning uh, January of 2018, I moved across town, so version 3.0. Uh, I grew tremendously in that shop. I became one of the largest independent motorcycle shops in North Carolina. Um, I mean, we should I have eight eight bays uh, that I worked by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so at any point in the day, I could have three or four oil changes happening, a couple tire changes happening, maybe some carb rebuilds, fork rebuilds, that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, constantly kind of my dad ran the front of the building. I ran uh, service and did everything in the rear. You didn't have any, uh, no other technician at the time? Nah, nah. We, we pretty much just stayed, my dad and I, we, we tried some people in between. Um, the, the funny thing about it is, uh, and this is going to resonate like COVID, post-COVID world, is that nobody wants to work. Uh, and I found that nobody wanted to work as hard as me uh, or as determined as I was to, to make something out of myself. Um, you know, we hired a guy who was pretty sloppy, um, you know, tons of comebacks. And, you know, that's my reputation and that's my name. Yeah. You know, so uh, it was just easier for me to, to work seven days a week than it was to, you know, have anybody else touch something that meant a lot to me, that I worked really hard and invested into. So, yeah, I just kept it as Pops and I for a long time. And, and uh, um, that was version 3.0. We rebranded um, moving into shop number three to Motory, M-O-T-O-A-R-Y. Uh, and the reason is, is we are, our e-commerce was growing really big. And Google doesn't like really long names. So like Ironworks Motorcycles is kind of a negative uh, detractor on, on Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we wanted to find a name that was just simple, easy, um, made up. You know, like there's that uh, website, Revzilla. Like, what is a Revzilla? Yeah. Uh, if anybody can tell me what a Revzilla is, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be glad to know. But the, the reality is it is nothing. Uh, what it is is just like marketing. Uh, it's marketing for a new age. Um, so motory ary just seems to make something official or it is official yeah so we just thought it was slick that we threw ary on the back end of MOTO. you know we make bikes official or we're the official bikes or whatever you know it was just kind of a play on words for us um so when we rebranded that shop it grew it grew it grew like how did you, come, uh, then, how did you guys come up with the name like was it just like one night like it just kind of like popped them out of nowhere like it was easy or did you like go through a laundry list of like a couple of different names Oh man, I think me, me and the homies like bounced names for like three, four weeks. Nothing stuck, you know. And, and and as we were getting ready to open this new shop up, we were we were like, I was kind of stressing because I was like, man, I don't want to have to reopen it under, you know, uh, my old name. I'd like to rebrand and regrow and, and and like do this bigger than what I've been doing it. Um, so yeah, I don't know how I really came across it. Um, what were some of the throwaway oh, names? Yeah, it's like I was just like, you know, thinking about it day in and day out, and something just clicked in me, and I was like, oh, motory. But I was thinking M O T A R Y. But there's some asshole that owns that website, and he wants like $100,000 for the website plus uh, 5% of your yearly sales forever. And I was like, yeah, you can, you can go to hell with that. Yeah. Um, so I just dropped another O in it and popped the domain and everything was, everything was great. Yeah. yeah but I couldn't see. honestly tell you what the Eureka moment was. I mean, I think it was just one of those things where I was like, this got, is what it's going to be. Yeah. Like, Oh, I got a great idea. <laughs> I got to hear some of the, bad, I got to hear some of the bad ones though, dude. Like what were some of the names I, that you guys, that you guys didn't go with? <laughs> man. Um, 
you know, I used to have them all written down, and I was embarrassed to even look at it. Uh, <laughs> someone tried. Someone was trying to. One of my homies was like, "Man, you should call it throttle jockeys." And I was like, "Yo, that's already a business." And he was like, "It's not a business." And we like argued for like a week on that. Finally, <laughs> I was like, "I was like, yo, just Google it." And throttle jockeys is a legitimate uh, dirt bike business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that one came up multiple times, uh, which is already a business. So, anybody that's not in the dirt bike, Bottle Jockeys is a is a dirt bike company. Um, I mean, there were like stupid ones like Moto Nerds. Uh, that was pretty lame. Um, you know, honestly, it's been it's been a long time. I can't really think back at how bad the names are getting. Uh, I mean, we were just throwing trash out day in and day out, just trying to find something that stuck or sounded good so yeah. uh and that was geez probably uh like six years now seven years ago so uh but i, I used to have a, a a sheet where we wrote down all the what we thought were good names at the time and then looking back i've been quite ashamed i'm like oh man those are all turf <laughs> what was i fucking thinking dude that could have made a sweet shirt though could have been like all the names you that you that you thought about with like just like red marks through them like no yeah no like, no like, <laughs> Yeah, we should have just called it Moto Turd. That, that would have been better than half the crap we, we figured out back then. But uh, but that's what business does for you, man. It makes you makes you uh, makes you put your nose to the grindstone and figure stuff out and and, and solve these equations by yourself. I mean, because nobody else can, you know. Yeah. Uh, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, or anybody else ain't gonna come and you know tell you what to do or, or how to name it or whatever. So. True. You know, these are the things that you've got to do and figure it out and make it stick. And, you know, like I said, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't necessarily sold on Motory Day 1, but it was like time was out. This was the best option. Let's fucking send it. Let's go. Yeah. So cool. So you land on the new name. You get, you get, you guys get the third location. How, like, square footage-wise, like, how much bigger was your third location, like, coming from where you guys were at? Oh, man. I think we had, like, 20... 400 square feet. I think it's just shy 2,500 in version 2.0. And when we moved to version 3.0, I remember the day I moved in, I was like, I got so much room for activity. (laughs) You're like, where am I going to put all, like, how am I going to fill this? (laughs) Yeah. Like total stepbrothers moment, man. Like I was like, we got, we got room for activity. Um, So we moved up to about 14,000 square feet in version, um, in version 3.0. And sadly, no room for activities that shop got filled up within like a matter of weeks we were like all like wall-to-wall busy with customers with our own stuff um homies buying more projects and bringing them in and you know so uh did you start up in the staff like on version three yeah we we just kept with dad and i nice uh during version three we didn't we didn't grow into as many employees until we bought the two dealerships Mm -hmm. uh that's version 4.0 where we're at currently in the story. Um, but yeah, version 3.0 was, was Pops and I, and, and um, we grew the restoration business. We grew the service business. Our e-commerce grew. Um, I started uh, restoring bikes in the UK for the Tower of London. Um, that was a whole crazy adventure that catapulted me into some other things in my life. And how, uh, did, how did that arise? I remember us talking about that a couple of months ago at that, uh, at that reunion show we hit. Yeah. Just, I, I mean, uh, my wife and I went on a honeymoon and we were in the tower of London and, and that the tower of London story is crazy for her and I, because we had tickets to get in from one of the tour companies and they lost their privilege to print the tickets. So we went to the ticket office 
uh, and they're like uh, back and forth. Finally, this girl like hands me two tickets, but she's like pressing down on them, and she's like, "I never give free tickets out." Uh, and I distinctly remember who she is. Uh, she was just like a uh, pretty cute brunette chick. Um, and uh, yeah, so we just ran around the tower like. You know, they were closing in 30 minutes. My wife wanted to see everything. It was like our last day in, in London. Uh, and we saw two Yemen water um, beef eaters, as they're known. Um, said, hey, can my wife take a photo with you guys? I said, sure. I pulled my hand out of my pocket to grab my phone. And um, I have a BSA tattoo on my hand. And one of them saw the BSA tattoo and was like, well, what do you know about BSAs? And I was like, well, what do you know about BSAs? And, yeah, we just became friends. Um, and it's like, well, okay, next time you're in London, Look me up, give me a call. Uh, I'll take you to my house. And I was back in London about a month and a half later, called him. We hung out. He had a bunch of bikes. He actually lived in the Tower of London. So all these beef eaters live in the Tower of London. And uh, yeah, just started helping restore them. You know, um, that trip, I threw a Norton um, engine uh, in a backpack and carried it through the airport. <laughs> Which I had no clue you could go through an airport with an engine. Dude, but. I've always wondered that. I've always because I've because like going to all these moped rallies and shit. I'm always been like, damn, dude. Like, can I just like like I I want to go to fucking L. A. for this rally, but I don't have a bike. I don't want to ship my bike. Like, can I just get a loner that's a roller and bring my own motor? Yeah. And I'm like, but how is that gonna fly? Like, just assembling a motor and bringing it on your carry on or some shit. People are gonna be like, oh, it's yeah. a bomb, I'll, you know? Like, <laughs> I'll text you the photo later. Yeah. So so. You know, Steve, his name is Steve. Um, he's the one that kind of took me in and helped me out of the tower. And, and uh, he's like family to me now. Um, we do motorcycle events all around the world. But uh, he's like, man, you know, if this bike's right, I uh, really sort of wish we did the bottom end, but I just put it in and it took me hours to get in. Norton engines were the first one that were rubberized. Mm-hmm. Um, like the mounts are called isoelastic. Uh, could be a little bit tricky if you've never done one before to get them mounted and get it right. So I had it out, like it took an hour. I had it out in like 15 minutes. I had the top end off. I put a top end in one bag and I put the cylinder uh, and bottom end in my book bag. And yeah, we flew home with it. So the TSA ruling is as long as it can fit under a seat and as long as you can carry it, it's a carry on. Nice. So, you know, you might have to split, you know, sometimes moped engines are a little bit longer, um, but you might need to take the top end off. But man, you can throw a top end together and, yeah. you know, in it. Are pretty simple so definitely encourage that definitely for all you hooligans like definitely put shit in your bag and carry it through tsa because they can't do anything about it you know as long as there's no oil or grease or gas on it it's fine dude you're you're going through you know hell yeah uh so like how, yeah, bu- how bum would you be though if you were like carry on this motor and they're like at the gates are like no sorry like you can't well shit. you know, like fuck you gotta funny- ship it home <laughs> Yeah, so it's funny, like, in the U.S., you know, you go to your gate, and then you just get on the airplane, mm-hmm. or in, in England, you go through security, and then you go to your gate, and your gate is a sealed room, so you got to go through, like, mini security to get in there, and then make you put your bags in these boxes to, like, make sure they fit, and fortunately, the box for the book bag, the engine barely fit, like, Ooh. just barely fit, and I was like, oh, fuck, sweet, <laughs> you know, I'd have been, I was conflicted, I was like, I don't know what I would have done, you know, like, yeah. You know, it's get a flight home or or it's homeboy's engine in, in London. Like half the call, I'm like yo, dude, man, you got to go outside I, on the curb. It's so it's in the, it's go three three uh, stoplights down. It's behind the tall bush, you know. Like, yeah, I, I threw it behind the dumpster, man. You just gonna have to go, go scavenge it. But 
yeah, that all worked out fine, you know, and, and so I kind of learned how to get smart about stuff like that, you know, obviously, if you got a really big engine like a Honda CB750, it's a massive, massive engine, there's no way you're going to carry that onto an aircraft, it's, yeah. it ain't going to happen, but you're, you're typically, your older engines and moped engines are small enough so you can use them as carry-on, they don't typically weigh a lot either, so you can demonstrate that you can hold the bag, mm-hmm. um, it's the most important thing, and they'll shove under a seat or stick it in the overhead bin, you know? So what was like um, the reasoning too for like for like bringing the motor instead of just like fixing? Yeah, just rebuild it. Yeah, just rebuild it. You know that was the thing. It's like, hey, you know, they need to help restoring and building this stuff. So I was like, fuck it, let's go. And this is what I'm doing in my life anyway. Uh, it's cool to be able to, to, you know, for me, they were giving me a free place to stay and work out of out of the Tower of London. Um, so you know, like it just cost me a plane ticket. And at that point, I think the plane tickets are like five or six hundred bucks in North Carolina round trip. Nice. But it was like going to London. It was like, man, I remember one trip. I was so broke then. I think I only had like $1,500. So I bought a flight and then I got a thousand bucks. But, you know, I'm there for 10 days, but I, I don't have to pay for anything. Everything's paid for. I just got to eat, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and the cool thing is, like, you know, Steve already had food. So he cooked a lot for us. And, uh, yeah, that was just like, just made sense. It was cool to get out of the country for 10 days. You know, you know, I used to tell people that, you know, could do the trip for under a thousand dollars. People would be like, Oh my God, that's crazy. But you know, that was, but the trade off was I was working and building these bikes and restoring and, and getting them back together. And Steve still got a lot of these bikes and a lot of the stuff too. So uh, still he's put, no still longer putting in full work. days. Yeah. Still putting in full days, but also like hanging out, sightseeing, you know, doing cool stuff. And this is, mind you, this is like the oldest building in or it's not actually a castle, it's a fortress. Um, but it's the oldest entity in London. It was built in 1066 um, and 1067 by William the Conqueror. Uh, so it was like the first real proper building in in London. So uh, it was kind of cool to like have that heritage and that history and, and you know be able to rub shoulders with these people. Uh, and from there, it opened up mega mega big opportunities. Um, you know, they knew people. There's a big bike company called the Bike Shed. They've opened a location in LA. Uh, shout out to Vicky and Dutch, uh, good friends of mine. Um, but uh, they were in London. They had just moved to a new location called Shoreditch. Um, and uh, yeah, from them met uh, met a lot of famous people. You know, uh, Charlie Borman, um, Tom Hardy, um, Killian Murphy. They're all big bike guys. Um, they all go through the bike shed. Um, if you've ever seen The Long Way Down, Long Way Round, uh, that's probably Borman, you, you and McGregor. Uh, they're probably the two biggest moto nerds ever. You know, they, they, they live, sleep, breathe motorcycles 24 seven. So, you know, that like, it, like being there and helping these guys out because it was my love and my passion opened up this door of, you know, uh, Peaky Blinders. Uh, there's a Spider-Man movie I had to help out on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, out of London, um, uh, racing that kick that kickstart all of my adventures in motorcycle racing. Uh, I got I was able to meet some racers and just became friends. And one thing led to another, led to another. So, uh, you know, we were supposed to do this podcast a couple of weeks ago. I was in Iowa, man. So, uh, you know, it's probably going to be the next thing we talk about. But uh, yeah. Just, that opportunity to go into the tower was, was just life changing for me. Yeah. Super like, like, cause you're already doing your thing back home, but that like kind of opened you up like worldwide. 
Yeah, worldwide for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got just as many followers and people uh, in Europe that that you know uh, fuck with me just as much as I got people here. You know, like everybody in Europe, like the UK, uh, from London to Manchester, Liverpool, Isle of Man, um, Belfast, Dublin. Uh, you know, I've just got people that that we do business with and, and work alongside. So you talked about a little bit about racing, like I. I see, like, you know, the pictures of the races, like, you're out doing, riding, getting crazy, and now you're, like, you know, you're, like, sponsoring a lot of people. Like, you want to kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, kind of kind of like ending the last conversation, my, my last version was 4.0. I bought some motorcycle dealerships, uh, and that's kind of taken me out of the work role and put me more, like, adding the logistics. So uh, one of the next steps we got into was, with motorcycle racing, you know, um, sponsoring guys, being a part of the community. Um, so we've got, you know, in the United States, we race a lot of dirt bikes. So we're motocross, arena cross, um, grand national cross country, GNCC. So we are really big in enduro. We do the national enduro series, full gas series. Um, but overseas, uh, is really where we spend a lot of time. Um, you know, our, Big event every year is the Alaman TT. Um, it's been going on since uh, 1907 was the first race. And, and actually, man first raced man on a combustion engine on Isle of Man. Um, so it's been going uh, headstrong since 1907. Shit's so uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the deadliest road race in the world. When I say road race, a lot of people are thinking like, oh, it's like a track. No, um, it's like <laughs> in the streets, dude. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an island in between England and Ireland. It's its own country. Um, it's a protectorate of England, so uh, it pays dues and royalties to, to England. Its citizens have UK passports, but they are uh, from Isle of Man. If you're from Isle of Man, you're called Manx. M A N X, Manx. Weird. <laughs> um, so uh, it is. They've shut down public streets, thirty-seven point seven five miles worth of public streets, and we race across them as fast as we can, which uh, some of your viewers and listeners are going to definitely like, oh, yeah, I've seen the highlights. Uh, some haven't. Uh, 200 plus miles an hour. Like, the thing zipped by. You didn't even see what bike it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's mental. Uh, you know, one of the spots I was watching that, because uh, I work a lot, uh, I did take a day off uh, to go watch. I was watching from a corner called Cape, uh, which I'm laying down in the grass, and the bikes are extensions from my nose but i'm on like kind of above them uh and they were just black blurs uh they hit the corner at 140 miles an hour so, so crazy dude i remember yeah. like just watching like because like instagram like once you like put it all man in like your phone or whatever like i was like oh greg's going cool let me check it out and i you know i watched a couple of your videos and then it like it set off my algorithm you know so like Every day I was getting like highlight clips and shit, and I'm like, God damn it, dude! Like passing other people within like inches at like 140 miles an hour, like coming over like hills where like they get airborne and get all squirrely, and you're just like, holy shit, dude! Like it's so yeah, crazy. It's, so some of the some of the like obviously the high points are um, crazy wheelies, crazy jumps. There's a bridge that is about about a third of the way through the track um, called the Luff. Um, so you got to slow down to about 50 miles an hour. Um, you're heading into, you're heading into 
uh, bluff at something around 170 miles an hour. So you've got to trick your speed down to about 50 and jump this bridge. Mind you, there's three buildings around this bridge. So if you jump it wrong any which way, you're certainly going to smash into a building. Uh, many people have. Many people have died there. Um, yeah, and that's just one of the, let's just say, silly spots on this island that you've got to do. There's Agos Leap. Yeah, the <laughs> Uh, you're going down a big, that's August leaps right at the very beginning of the course. You're going down a massive hill called Bray Hill. You're going about 189 down Bray Hill. Suspension fully uh, compresses at the bottom of Bray Hill. All of a sudden, you start going up. It's a really small hill. And when you hit that small hill uh, incline called um, August Leap for Agostini, and your front wheel just becomes as light. It unloads, uh, and it basically just makes you jump off the road. Uh, but mind you, you're also going 180 miles an hour. So, you know, uh, bike loose is complete, uh, control of itself and then lands, And then, you know, you're still going 180 miles an hour down a straightaway. So, dude, I'm like, I saw, I saw some fucking like Instagram, like, you know, clip from some podcast or something. And they were talking about Alaman. They were just like, yeah, dude, like it's the most dangerous race in the world. Like out of the like hundred some races they've had, there's been like. 200 plus deaths so it's like they were saying something like every year like 2.5 people die yeah well so knock on wood this year was a great year um this was uh weather wise isle of man has its own climate its own weather it makes it up every day one part of the island could be sunny one part could be rainy um but this year we had the best weather two weeks of just hot sunshine nice um and the reason I bring that up is that usually p- plays a part in death because racers are pushing harder and harder and harder on the limit. Mm-hmm. Um, we only had one fatality, Raul. Um, uh, I think his funeral is going to be on Wednesday. They're going to cart him around. The, he's from, uh, I think he was from Spain. Uh, they're going to, um, horse is going to bring him around the island. They're going to do uh, one lap of the track and he's going to be buried trackside. Okay. Um, but, Last year, we lost six racers, two solo, so two motorcyclists, and then four sidecar. Um, and then we didn't race in 21, 20. We didn't race, but in 2019, I think we lost four racers in 2019 and I think five in 2018. So, um, And that's not including the civilians that decide to go up there and try to be Johnny Road Racer. Yeah. Um, they sometimes don't advertise or, or let uh, that information be public um, because it is part of uh, police reports. Um, but, you know, this year we, we had one incident in particular, a Porsche and three motorcycles went off the side of a mountain. I know the lady driving the Porsche was fine, but nobody heard anything about the three bikers. Um, so I'm assuming, uh, I'm assuming they weren't fine. Uh, road, they, it was actually race day. Um, and so that caused a delay about, three hours for them to clean everything up get everybody removed mm-hmm. so yeah that's it, it, it it's crazy um but it's not part of it though you know like yeah. it you know people would be like why would you risk certain death for you know five minutes of fun and, and you know the reality is it's part you know, of history too I, yeah like it's fucking anything that like makes your heart race and creates adrenaline uh or there's some degree of risk like that's what people live for, you know? Like, action sports wouldn't be action sports if it wasn't action. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so, um, you know, and it's cheesy to say these guys live more uh, on one lap than a lot of people do in their whole life, and it's true. I mean, 
um, the determination, the balls, the mindset to go out there and, and, and race this crazy thing. Uh, that's why I'm a part of it. I mean, I don't have the skill set to do it. Um, not at this point in my life anyway. Um, but just being on the sidelines and just like seeing people and supporting people do this, man, it's just fucking crazy. You know, you seeing a bike go 200 miles an hour on a public road racing is mental. Yeah. Mental. Love it though. Uh, Michael Dunlop said it best, uh, in the interview this year. Uh, he's just fucking, he's a lunatic. You know, we're all lunatics. Uh, you know, to, to want to go along and or watch it and ride it. So, uh, definitely if anybody's, uh, listening to this, check it out, watch it. Uh, it's, it's life changing for sure. I think there's a couple, like, there's a bunch of sick documentaries on it too. Oh, yeah. There's a bunch. Um, you know, Guy Martin, uh, God forbid nobody can fucking understand him. Uh, TT3D is a really good one, closer to the edge. Uh, that one's really good because it takes place on a really pivotal point where, where he clipped the wall right outside. Um, where was it at? Uh, it was mile marker eight, I think, and he had a cobblestone wall. Uh, at about 180 miles an hour, and his bike explodes in a big fireball. Uh, he ends up breaking his back. He survives. Everything's good. But, uh, you know, just watching that, you know, it's like certainly everybody who saw it live was like, man, how could anybody live through that? That's just the most horrendous thing. And then, you know, he's fine. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's a good documentary. There's another really good one uh, about a really good friend of mine. It's called uh, A Dangerous Addiction. It's on YouTube. Uh, he's our head mechanic for uh, the Alabama TT. His name is John Ingram. Um, John's still a very fast rider uh, down in Spain this year testing. Uh, he was about two seconds, maybe three seconds off MotoGP lap time uh, at Aragorn. So uh, very fast rider. Uh, but this documentary is about his TT debut, uh, which showcases m- my current rider, Phil Crow, uh, as well as Phil Crow's first time going to the TT. So uh, that's a really good one that flies under the radar that a lot of people don't know. Nice. Um, yeah, there's tons of documentaries out there. They're, they're all worth watching. And, and uh, you know, even for an hour worth of entertainment, it's definitely uh, definitely something to, to put on your list. Cool. Uh, what were, like, some some other races and stuff you've been involved with? Because yeah. I know that one's big because, like, I just saw you posted a bunch about it last week. But, like, I know you've <laughs> yeah. done, like, a road racing and dirt and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the whole road racing for me, or the roads, we do Northwest 200, which is uh, two weeks before the North, um, before Isle of Man. That's um, in Northern Ireland between Port Rush, Port Stewart, and Coleraine. That's a very fast race. We didn't race it this year for a couple reasons. Crowey was hurt, um, but also uh, we lose engines there because it's a very fast race. Um, so we opted to save our, our engines for the TT. We didn't have time to rebuild them. Uh, so there's that one, there's Ulster, uh, which is also in Ireland. Um, Scarsbrook is a good one. Or Moore is also in, uh, Ireland. Those are all road racing on the road. Um, but we're also in world Superbike. So, uh, one of my close friends, best friends, Tom Booth Amos, uh, so I've been, uh, supporting his world Superbike. Uh, he, uh, he just had a really big off today in, in British Superbike, uh, Damn near thought it was a dirt bike and jumped it. And uh, so he's in the hospital tonight. Uh, but yeah, no, it's his ego. He's just bruised his ego. He'll be fine. <laughs> talking talking with him earlier, he said, yeah, I'm fine. I just uh, shouldn't have made that move. Uh, but 
yeah, I'll, I'll send you the video of it. It's crazy. He just jumps this corner and like probably at a hundred miles an hour. Uh, don't know what he was thinking, but, uh, just regardless, it was an impressive fucking dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, we do world Superbike within. Um, so that is amalgamated bikes. Uh, they have to be bikes that are produced from a manufacturer. They can't be anything special. Um, there's rules about the size of engine and technology that we can use on them. So, um, that race is worldwide from Australia to, uh, all over Europe. Um, fortunately they don't race North America anymore. Um, uh, they did, um, uh, but they've taken them out of the schedule. Um, but, uh, so we're in that, uh, we're in surf biking. Uh, I mentioned earlier, motocross, arena cross, uh, and all kinds of duros, uh, in the U S. Um, that's really about it for this season. We're not, you know, although that's a lot, um, we, we really kind of stripped our program down and out. Uh, just kind of focusing on a, a couple key players uh, versus just trying to get in everywhere. Um, you know, this year was a big race season. Oh, man, cost us a lot of money. Uh, new engines, new equipment. World Superbike, we moved up uh, to Kawasaki 600. Uh, so that program's been um, been being developed and, and costing a lot of time and energy, too. So uh, we just figured it was good just to stop there and, and develop those platforms and yeah. processes for those racing. Uh, and then back home, we're on Kawasaki's back home for uh, Rita Cross, Motocross, and and, uh, and Enduro. Um, we've got three guys in point challenge right now for uh, GNCC, which is an AMA-sanctioned uh, um, Enduro event. So uh, we're going to spend some time and energy to see those boys stay on the podium and possibly get top rung. I, I hear word that the two guys beating us in one class uh, are both out for the season, so uh, that might be really good for us. Might get us to the top rung this year. Um, so yeah, just fucking dirt bikes, street bikes, all anything the, in between. All the things, yeah. dude. Like, how yeah. do you, how do you like plan, like setting up your team as for like, as far as the mechanics and like, and like the riders you sponsor and like su- supplying yeah. all these yeah. parts and motors, like all over the place. Yeah. 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 Well, fortunately I'm not the only one that has to do it. So like I'll the uh, was this year was really good because, um, we, we had all kind of come together last year and we all know our roles, our spots. Um, so Phil Crow, uh, Ryder, uh, you know, proverbially his team. Um, you know, so we all just kind of have a seat and we, we, that's the, the seat we sit in and, and, you know, mine's logistics. I make sure that, uh, you know, things are where they need to be food. Um, you know, when, when he comes off the track, times are done. Uh, all that information is available. You know, then we have a mechanic. He knows what he needs to do. John Ingram and Mark Hartley uh, are also, uh, they know what they need to do. So uh, it's actually pretty easy, to be honest. Uh, the hard one is, is dirt biking. I'm the mechanic. I'm the crew chief. I'm the pit crew. Uh, so I've got to do all the logistics for that. i got to tell the guys where to drive, where to go. Um, you know, that one's a little bit more tricky because everything rests on my shoulders. But, yeah. you know, as far as like World Superbike, um, Pachetti is the main Kawasaki team in other. We're not part of Pachetti. Um, they manage the Kawasaki platforms for us. Um, you know, MotoZoo owns the engines. Pachetti manages everything. So, uh, really, we just got to focus on the rider, Tom Booth Amos, uh, what he needs, what he wants. Um, you know, he trains hard in the U.S. and flies back over uh, to Europe to race or, or Asia to race. Um, so, yeah, it's just uh, it's just logistics at the end of the day, man. It's just you know making sure the right people are in the right place, doing the right thing. 
um, making sure those tools are available. So, nice. um, you know, it's not, it's, it's not, it sounds kind of a washed, watered down, you know, simple <laughs> answer, but, uh, but it, it's kind of simple because everybody sort of already knows what they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, the main thing when you're getting to racing and especially at these high levels is the rider will tell you what they need and what they want. And I've been with TBA for a long time now. I know what he needs. I know what he wants. Uh, I know what he's going to say. Uh, so it's already all figured out. It's already all planned. It's already there. Uh, so that way he doesn't have to second guess or wonder what I'm doing or why I'm doing it. Um, you know, same with Phil Crow. been with him for a while now. Know what he needs, wants, expects. So, you know, when you go through those motions, uh, it, it just, it, to be honest, it takes a lot of the guesswork. You know, I don't have to put my feelings into it. I don't have to put my thought into it. I know what they're looking for, what they want out of the situation. And then I just simply produce that. Yeah. I love that. It gives you like, it also gives you like a different like outlet because coming from being like the mechanic, the owner, the like guy who was doing everything to being able to like step away kind of from the business to do things that are still Uh, related to it. But like, you know, but like, you know, more freeing, you know, you get to go travel and do other things besides just like sit at your desk, make, you know, making shit happen. Yeah. 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 We, you know, I still sit on a laptop and get, get my day to day work done. Uh, there's no escaping that at this point in my life, but yeah, it's the freedom, you know, and it all ties back into the business. You know, we've got a lot of people that, that, uh, you know, come do business with us. They buy dirt bikes from us because they see us on the racetrack. They see us, uh, you know, day to day, they're on our local event. Uh, same with the road racing in Europe. You know, I bring these guys boots, helmets. Uh, most of them have sponsorships, but, you know, you, they'll only give you two sets of boots a year or a helmet a year, whatever it is. Everybody's got the sponsorships different. So, you know, I'm always relaying and working with those guys and bringing supplies and stuff over. So, I always, uh, I always wondered how much like the uh, the sponsorships like correlate to like actual business because you see like all these like races, especially motocross and stuff. You look at their banners yeah. and all this stuff. Like everyone's covered in you know sponsorship stuff, and it's like, how much does that turn into dollars back at like at your business? You, you know that that's the good thing. So fortunately, where I'm at, I'm not looking for ROI. I'm not looking for return on investment. Mm-hmm. What I'm doing is I'm simply just scratching my innate love for motorcycles and this is just kind of like my love language yeah and from that it 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 brings me business but i couldn't quantify how many dirt bikes how many helmets how many gloves by being a part of it um i think there's a lot of people that get into sponsoring dirt bikes or motorcycle racing like if you watch supercross it's postured and motocross certainly it's postured everywhere um monsters monster energy or red bull can't tell you how many Red Bulls or Monster Energy drinks they've sold because somebody saw them on Supercross. But they've spon- but they sponsor so much. They sponsor everything that it just like it, it's unavoidable. Yeah. It's unavoidable. But then you do have someone that's like, hey man, I'm um ABC Builders, you know, and they're sponsoring a bike. Well, if you're trying to quantify, okay, I'm going to pump ten thousand dollars in this bike, but I want to sell fifteen homes. I mean, it it it's it's unreasonable to yeah. expect that you're going to get anything out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I hate that you almost have to look at it as like a tax write off. Like you need to lose the money and then realize it on your taxes later, because if you're certainly going from it, from a marketing standpoint, well, I'm going to market and this is going to bring us customers. It's not, um, it, the world doesn't work that way. There's a reason Suzuki's pulled out of motorcycle racing across the world, other than, um, 
Ken Rockson's 450 that he that he raced this year. And that's simply because if you win it on Sunday, customers aren't buying it on Monday. That relationship and that model broke years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's the exact same relationship that if um, Valentino Rossi's bike won on Sunday and your logo's on it, people are going to come do business with you. Once again, that relationship broke. So um, I think you've got to look at it from the standpoint of this is what I love. This is what my interest is. And I just want to support some rad shit. The payoff is for and it's like a sponsoree is you're going to go to the race and probably get off, off active stuff. You probably get pit walk. Uh, you get a, you, you're not sitting in the stands. You're probably sitting on the sidelines. You're, you're, you're more intimate with it. Um, that's fun. And that's cool. Uh, is that worth your $10,000? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Um, but I think there's a lot of people that have invested in this industry in the power sports industry and, and racing in general that get in and get out as quick as, as quick as they are is because they realize that the mm-hmm. fucking money in it. You drop ten thousand, fifty thousand, hundred thousand, whatever you drop in it, you're not realizing that money tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. Uh, you know that that money's gone. So the people that are in it want to be in it, and the people that think it's a good idea should probably just stay out of it because <laughs> you can't quantify what you're going to get out of it. You just got to do it, enjoy it, love it, and be a part of it. That's that's where we've been this whole time. Yeah. What well, again? Like, what got you like to? get so heavily involved into the racing from just being, you know, from being a guy who was a mechanic wrench to like owning yeah. these dealerships and then like getting so deeply into racing. Like, I feel like it yeah. was like a, a fast, like a, like a quick transition, you know? No, nah, it wasn't that quick. I mean, I was in lane speed racing for a long time and that, you know, what I love about lane speed racing versus drag racing is that it's you machine beating your personal best. Right. And it's, it's ultimately like, uh, the square root of man is like always trying to be the best version of yourself and be better every day. That's what land speed racing is. Is every time you go out, you're just trying to, you know, go a little faster than what you did the day before. Um, and that like, just, I don't know, uh, competitiveness, right. Mm-hmm. It's always me. Um, just always like competing and racing and, and, you know, uh, cool once you go to a motorcycle race your local flat track race on a friday night or whatever uh it just sucked me in so you know it, it was a slow process of getting in but you know when we transitioned to working in the uk and all these world class tracks are in my backyard dial a man is like a 45 minute flight away it just accelerated us 10 times harder because that uh that was the fuel that that we needed that we wanted um, working the seven hour days or, you know, grinding in this industry, this was the payoff for me was to, to, you know, be a part of this and, and, and see my homies and my friends, you know, live their dreams and get support as well. So, um, a lot of people do see that like rocket ship acceleration into it, but it was years in the making. I mean, there were years of me going to Alaman TT where, you know, uh, talking about sleeping in a, in a tent under, uh, you know, <laughs> the bridge, like a, yeah. <laughs> dude, we rented this house. Me and one of my close friends, Michael, we rented this house, uh, this uh, apartment actually. And the lady kicked us out and uh, she overbooked it. And long story short, she was like, You can sleep in my closet. So, like, she like <laughs> put these like blankets and shit down in this massive closet. And uh, I remember waking up at it was probably like five in the morning and Michael had to pee and I had the shit real bad. So, Man, he peed in the hallway and I shit in the fucking closet and 
we went outside and slept on a park bench uh, that night. So all my buddies woke up and we met at the, the, the cafe and we got our luggage and they're like, what the hell is wrong with you guys? I'm like, yeah, we got kicked out of the spot. So we ended up having to sleep on a bench. Seaside, mine got down to like 40 degrees that night, but we had to sleep on benches, the, you know, the next night. So she at least took the blanket with you, God. Yeah, well, I shit on it. I mean, I wasn't thinking about that. My stomach was hurting. It's not like she rented me a room with no bathroom. Got these damn bubble guts, bro. I know, man. All all that different weird alcohol I was drinking that night. But yeah, yeah, Michael, you know, and to paint Michael, um, he's an IT guy, works for a local hospital. Uh, He was in his early 50s, had never traveled outside the U.S. That was his first trip outside of the U.S. So, uh, and. Me shitting in a fucking closet, and we still laugh to this day. I mean, he comes to the TT with me all the time, and we just still laugh about it to this day. That like, you know, like we traveled all this way, and like, lady kicked us out of the house and made us sleep in a fucking closet. You know, yeah. but that's my life, dude. Like, we wouldn't we wouldn't have it any other way. That was that was what that is more funny now looking back on it than it was in the time. But we just laugh about it now, like dude. We, we literally were sleeping on a park bench on the Isle of Man just because we wanted to go watch motorcycle racing. Yeah, it's crazy. Didn't know, didn't know any of the races at the time, you know? So it was, you know, culmination from then to now. You know, it's been eight years, nine years, something like that. So that, that, that growth, man, that's that bike life. That's sick. Dude, like, so, like, where else is it taking you besides besides that? Like, the business is growing. You, you know, you guys are in multiple locations. You know, you're doing the racing thing. Like, what's the – where is it at currently? Yeah, so we're two dealerships in central North Carolina. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, I don't want to give off one of my top secret war plans. Uh, <laughs> we're we're, we're going to take, take a lot of things digital uh, is what I've been working on now. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I think our next goal and vision is to to really kind of sort of have a digital uh, experience. Um, you know, when you're at home and you know it's eleven o'clock, but you're scrolling on your phone. You know, I, I still uh, I'm still looking at bikes. I'm still thinking about bikes. You know, so we want to extend that digital uh, that digital experience out. So you know, you can connect with us, shop with us, research. You know, get the vibes get some ideas so yeah uh yeah we have this big digital package that we've been building for the past couple years sick i know as far as mopeds like we uh like we kind of all live by that like because the moped community is so small and it's so spread out throughout the country that it's if it wasn't for the internet and instagram and moped army and like places where we can kind of connect and look at other people who are involved in what we're doing we wouldn't see it like richmond's a small city we might have 10 15 active moped riders you know on a on a yeah. consistent basis like if it wasn't for the internet and places to go look at it and see it and like think about it and like we there wouldn't be a scene <laughs> yeah 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 and that's the biggest thing man is like you know going back to this like bike shed you know like vicky and dutch have grown this beautiful thing in london trans transplanted in la and they're a really two-wheel eccentric everybody's welcome group. It doesn't matter if it's a moped or a chopper or a bike with a sidecar, everybody's welcome. And, you know, what my vision is, is to be able to say, have a spot where it's 24 seven, where people can come interact with us. And, uh, you're looking to customize your bike and you want some, 
uh, you want some ideas or maybe some, some, you know, life hacks to, to make stuff easy. Uh, there's that, you know, um, as well as like looking at parts and trying to figure out, uh, what you want to do or what you want to use. And, you know, we're never going to get around the internet. It is here. Uh, our lives are really entwined with it. Um, but it does allow us to, to stay in contact with each other through different time zones, different parts of the world. But that's that big goal that I have is I want to have that that two wheel life experience is 24 seven. So I, I love that idea. Like I know here it's like, I know earlier you were talking about like TV shows and stuff that you got involved with and movies and all this, like here we have like, it's kind of like, like weird pride of Richmond kind of thing. Like it's kind of small niche. Not a lot of people know about it, but it's like, there's this shop in Richmond called classified moto. And they're the guys who built the, the motorcycle from walking dead that like Daryl rides around. Yeah. And yeah, like that guy who owns that shop, like it's cool. It's downtown Richmond in Southside and like upstairs, like you go to his spot and it was like, that was like, like the seven Hill scooter club would host like their parties there. Like after the ride, like cool, we're doing a ride. Our Saturday night party is going to be at classified moto and you go there and it's like, it's like, you know, you walk in and you see his like cool shop downstairs and like, he's got the duplicate of the bike, like in the back, like built, like, in the corner you can look at it and be like yo this is the motorcycle from the walking dead like how crazy is this that i can like touch it and look at it and feel it and then like you go upstairs it's kind of like um you know a hidden door you pull the you pull the liquor bottle and it fucking opens up a wall and you go upstairs and it's like a stage with fucking like karaoke and an open bar and like pool and wiffle ball and like, you know, I'm mean, a pool ping ball table, like arcade, like just, just a cool hangout clubhouse. And it's like open to anyone when they, when they do like parties and events and stuff. And I feel like yeah. places like that, places like that, that brother moto place or whatever. And like, and, and like uh, Atlanta or where the fuck it was at, like, you know, the, the, the work bench share kind of like open club environment. It's like, something that a lot of like like communities need like a lot of places people don't have that like we don't have like a big community shop like that anymore and i know it's a hard thing to do but like if you have the space like having something like that where it's just like open access to anyone to like work on their stuff it's like such a cool idea yeah in in taking and taking that for me taking that idea one step further and just being in the mental space where uh you know this 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 is going to get i mean you've probably seen it all over news lately, like men's health, men's mental, uh, men's mental health. Like all my homies are in the motorcycle world. Um, like all my best friends, you, you're, you're in the two wheel world. Like everybody that, that I have in my life is in one way or another associated with two wheel life. And so like, not just having a physical space, but also having this mental space where we can talk and share ideas. And, uh, you know, when I was younger, I probably talked a lot of shit about, well, I hate that bike, that bike's ugly, or like, why'd you do that? And blah, blah, blah. But as I get a little bit older, I'm like, yeah, man, that's cool. It's not my cup of tea, but like, I can take an idea or a skill set or, you know, walk away from looking at it going, well, it's not for me, but. I really enjoyed what they did with the shifter or like what they did with the bars or how they painted or how they put it all together. There's always ways, positive ways you can reflect on, you know, when somebody builds something. So that's kind of what I wanted to put out there was this digital landscape where people can interact with each other, uh, shop, 
you know, get inspiration. Yeah. But also have a community that, that we don't have to see each other face to face every day. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're sitting on your couch at night and you're just looking at stuff, it's a way to bring people together, share ideas, uh, and share this passion that we have, which is, which is everything two wheels. I love it. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's literally, that's literally like what we have. Like, if it wasn't for like, the internet side of mopeds like we would have like no community at all and like oh yeah and as far as like the not liking certain bikes and this is like it's that's the fun part dude it's fun to like bash on some bike like oh that that part kind of sucked that part kind of suck like you know run it through the fucking ringer dude like yeah dude like your bike's sick like you do a good job but this kind of sucked dude you could have done that better like i remember yeah. like when your brother got that first moped and i was thinking about building a bike and making a moped and i was like oh like, i'm gonna go all out do all the things and he's and like i remember the I still to this day remember this. He was like, dude, like people build all these bikes. You see him on open army and stuff. And he's just like, it's like, dude, like you could build the coolest bike. You could have like the, the coolest parts and this and that. But if your lines are off, like the bikes trash, you know, like yeah. people do all this effort, but then they'll have some shit. That's just like the lines are off. The looks not right. You know? And like that part matters a lot more than oh, yeah. some of the other stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, like if you're just building a ripper and, and it's going to be like a, a super tough bike and it's going to be fast, then, you know, like, fuck a look, you know, like it's got to be, it's got to be functional. But, you know, there's also the, the style aspect that, that you know, you want to put together something that looks good, that's smooth, got good lines. Uh, it's like art. I mean, it is art. Uh, and it's our way of expressing ourselves or our ideas or the way we think about the world. And, uh, you know, and everybody's entitled to their own opinion there. Um, but yeah, that, that shit's important. Uh, you know, like when I build custom bikes, um, you know, we did Brad Pitt's bike, um, for Indian, uh, you know, I think, uh, me and a couple guys that were doing it, you know, stood long and hard on how to make it the best version it could be, you know, cause it's going to be critiqued. It's going to be in magazines and it's going to be heavily photographed and, you know, talked about. So, you know, fortunately I think, uh, the main guy that did it, Zach Hines, uh, nailed a lot of the, the, a lot of the styling. Um, Dean from Dice Magazine put the project together. Uh, he threw like a old Norton um, uh, tank on it, which just really killed the styling. And, and you know, I, I buttoned everything up and made everything uh, function and fit as, as it should. So, you know, those are the things that do matter, um, you know, when you're building. But offering that in a digital space where, you know, Johnny, who's just getting into this and he's super pumped about his first pet or, you know, it's first bike or whatever it is. He's got a you know, give it a, uh, Yeah, got a, got a spot that gets some knowledge and gets some fucking, you know, some some positive critique. Uh, you know, not just some shithead just saying, "Oh fuck you, you, you got trash. You should have bought, <laughs> you know, should have bought something else." Like those are know, the woes of the internet, though. You got you got to worry about. You got it. That's what that's where your good moderators come into play. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> with but the internet, I, there will always be shit talk. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 and that's and that's fine, you know. Uh, my, where I've been at for the past few years is getting people into this, into this industry, because if we don't have young people coming in, then, you know, like we're, a, we're the last of a dying breed, to be Dude, honest. Uh, you're, you're a man of my fucking, what's that saying? Man of my own heart, bro. Cause like no. I preach that on this podcast repeatedly. It's especially being that mopeds are all vintage classic bikes. Like we're buying bikes from the seventies like and, yeah. and fixing it up and still riding them around been like it's been so hard the last couple of years to even sell a moped you know for a decent price or like you know give them away sometimes it's like 
like if they do buy it, they want it right. They want it running. They want it perfect. They want all this stuff. I remember when I was buying mopeds at first, like I wanted the broken bike that I could find for a hundred yep. bucks, 200 bucks. Like, I didn't care if it didn't run because I wanted to learn and fix it and do all the things. And now it's like, you know, the kids that People I think don't want to do that. They, they want you to fix it and you mm-hmm. make it run. Exactly. And then like, and, and also the hard part about it is like, there's all the e-bike stuff's coming into play super hard that like, I like if, I feel like the kids that are buying $3,000 e-bikes could have been the people that would have bought mopeds, you know, five yeah. years ago. And that, that's kind of like why like our scenes are like a little smaller sometimes. If you're, yeah. if you're not tricking your friends into riding, which we're, which we're all doing, you know, like, Oh, I'll take this around the block. And they come back with a shitty grin on their face. And the next thing you know, you got them hooked. Like, you yeah. know, they're, they just see some cool e-bike thing that, like, Oh man, that fucking Onyx or that super 73 look, looks rad on the fucking marketing on Instagram. I'm going to buy one of those instead of like going on Craigslist or Facebook marketplace and finding like, you know, some old moped. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's also like even more important for the businesses that are in our sphere and people like you that are in the sphere to, to really, you know, like really tune into, you know, like, yeah, I'm, I'm a big asshole and I'll say how it is nine times out of 10. But also, I'm the first one that if a kid shows up and he's got a piece of shit head, mm-hmm. that I'm going to be like, "Yo, cool, like, cool, thanks for coming out." You know, like, come hang out. Let's get let's get a beer. Let's go to my shop. I'm the first one that always always extends that hand out and, and welcomes people in because if you're not welcoming people in and you're just pushing people out, then what we love and what we cherish isn't going to be around. I mean, let's face it; like, we're not getting any younger we need younger people to come in to, to also carry the torch and, and yeah. grow the businesses, the businesses that are doing this and supplying the parts. If people just stop buying parts, they're out of business. Then, you know, there's half of your, half of your industry is gone overnight. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, case in point, like Vespa's and Piaggia's, I mean, there's been a lot of companies that have folded lately uh, in the scooter world, you know? So like, where are you going to get large frame, small frame? Where are you going to get these knickknack scooter parts? Um, in the motorcycle world, we used to have a shop in Canada called Dommy Racer. Dommy Racer folded like seven years ago. The industry's never recovered. That what they what they what they were providing for certain brands like Benelli, um, Puck, the Puck motorcycles. Um, uh, they did uh, a bunch of other stuff. Nobody like nobody does it. Those parts don't exist anymore. That service doesn't exist. That knowledge and experience. So uh, I always just tell people like like yeah let's we got to get people in like you know like don't be such a douche that everybody's turned off and doesn't want to come ride you know like mm-hmm. i don't want to be the last man riding i will be the last man riding <laughs> but, you know but at the end of the day i want to ride with my homies i want people to come in i want to meet you people i want to go to rallies and hang out in these events and meet and greet and do all this shit because that's what's fun meeting new people and seeing you know yeah. you know someone come for the first time and just get fucking sucked in because yeah. i remember when i in on it you know i'm like yeah. oh man this is so fucking rad let's go fucking run that's all i wanted to fucking do and it's fuel to uh, the fire dude it's like seeing seeing the spark from someone new who's excited about the thing keeps me excited like if it oh, wasn't yeah. for new people being stoked on mopeds like oh dude that's sick that's so cool like i wouldn't be as excited about it like i need that oh yeah thousand percent same, same with us i mean sometimes like i'll get burnt out building stuff or working on stuff uh, but the second like someone new comes around and they're like, Hey, yeah, can you help me pull this carburetor? And I'm, I'm building this bike and da 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 da. Like almost amps me up and gets me refired up to like want to do what I, what I've been doing uh, my whole life. So, 
yeah, it's just, you know, that's like building that, I don't want to call it a safe space, man, but building that, that, that community area where like we can come together and package us all together and have a spot for people. Uh, I think it's super important moving into the future. Uh, and, and I don't think dealerships do that that well. Uh, I think, I think businesses in general don't do it that well. Um, there's a lot of room for improvement on it. So that's what, that's the next growth chapter and phase that we've been working on is, is, you know, how do we give that 24 seven, uh, care and attention to our customers and our community? Um, you know, what does that look like and how, how does that work? Uh, that's the biggest thing and challenge I've been, uh, been working on for the past couple of years. Hell yeah. Dude, that's awesome, bro. I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, look, it keeps us all growing and going. So, dude. Well, man, I don't know, bro. I think we fucking covered a lot of shit, dude. We got yeah, know, man. from, from, from the nuts to the vaults. Yeah, it's cool, dude. I love like I like I still I love like all the different stuff, you know, like anything two wheels. Like we can all relate, you know no matter what you're riding, you all, you know, you want to learn, you want to ride, you want to get more in, in depth with it and learn a little bit more about your history and about like the bikes and the styles and the different things that can change. And then just getting stoked on all the, all the people that you meet through it. And oh yeah. As far as like bikes, dude, it's like, you know, a lot of people who want to learn to ride motorcycles and bigger bikes, like mopeds are a great gateway drug, you know, it's easy uh, to learn, twist and go. No, you know, no muss, no fuss. Like, and teaches Absolutely. you all the basic skills that you need to to learn to ride the bigger bike. Yeah, and you know the the thing too is like, man, I might not want to be on a six hundred pound motorcycle if I was living in DC or you know like Philly or or you know like a metro area. Like I'm going to be on a little ripper that's like stoplight and stoplight a banger, you know. Yeah. So everybody's there's got no a place. Little yep, absolutely. Everything's got its place. You got two wheels that you know. Uh, that's what's up. So. I, uh, I think I saw some fucking little Instagram clip the other day, just like scrolling through my phone. And it was just like, it was like, Oh, like how, like all like, you know, like street bike guys are. And it was like the guy with a 600 bike, like, yo man, you want to go to the corner store? Like you want to go down to the store? And it was like his buddy sit on the computer with the, with the R one. He's like, nah, dude, I'm good. You know, it's just like, he doesn't want to yep. take a R one down the street to the store. He's trying to get on the highway and bang it out. You know? Yep. I feel that. Yeah. Like, um, you know, I just, I just went to the TT with a guy named high side Joe, look him up on Instagram. He's a pretty famous stunt guy. And, uh, I mean, we talked about it as well. I mean, you know, he's got road bikes, sport bikes, little bikes. And you know, we were just talking about just the enjoyment factor that you get out on two wheels anyway, man, whether it's a push bike, uh, or, you know, a little electric, uh, he just bought a, uh, um, a little electric e-bike himself. But he's got groms, he's got all kinds of stuff, and it's the same with me. I got all, I got little stuff and big stuff. So, um, yeah, two wheels is two wheels, man. As long as you're getting out there and riding and ripping, then that's what it's about. Hell yeah, dude! Tell everyone all where they can find you and stuff on the internet, just so they can keep track of the, your journey. Yeah, man. So our our main avenue right now is Instagram Motory USA M O T O A R Y USA. Our website's down. It should be coming up in a couple months. Uh, we're on Facebook as well under Motory. So, yeah, look me up. Uh, if you have any questions or need anything, we sell helmets and gear and apparel, that kind of stuff. So, uh, shout out to my T-shirt printer. His name's Jason. He does a really good job. <laughs> if anybody needs T-shirts, I know I know a man for the job. Uh, but, uh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how you can find us and, and, and get up with us. We're always going on some crazy adventures. Dude, fuck. You want to... I'm putting you on the spot. And this is this is this is this is an asshole move. Yeah. <laughs> you want to you want to throw like a fifty dollars gift card to your to your store or something? Yeah, 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 yeah. I can do that. Yeah, I'll hook you up with that. Hell yeah, uh, guys! Just fucking you guys know the game. We how we play it, dude. Email in uh, motory m o t o r. I mean m o t m o t o a r y to uh to mope money podcast at gmail.com and you listen to this episode you email in between now and next week we'll uh do a raffle on next week's episode yeah 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 i'll, we, I'm, I'll, sweet, I'll sweeten it up a little bit more we'll do a hundred dollar uh gift card that way at least Banger. that's sick yeah yeah and i'll do free shipping too so if they're west coast whatever we'll ship it out man hell yeah thanks dude i appreciate that yeah, no worries, dude. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we'll have to do some more of this. Sorry, sorry, I couldn't link up at the TT. It was super crazy. It would have been even more fun to do this at the TT. But yeah, you would have that fucking that extra stoke in you, dude. Be like, <laughs> dude, yeah. today, today was sick. <laughs> I I don't know about that, man. I was wide open. Uh, we were like going from racing to partying to racing to working. I mean, it was just it was just nonstop. Oh yeah, man! But it was a good time. Love it. So yeah, we'll have to do more of these. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to do a couple more in the future, man. Yeah, definitely, dude. Fucking, I'm gonna check it out. I know, like, I was talking about the calendar, or, like rally calendar lately. Like, I've there's no like, or normally we have a we have our friends down in um in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, that do like a rally every year, but they they don't have one scheduled this summer so far. I was gonna I was gonna be like, yo, like if I come down the fucking for that, like we got to get up, but. Yeah, there's a there's a good. I mean, so we're we're part of a, a motorcycle show called the Congregation Show, mm-hmm. uh, in uh, in, uh, in Charlotte, uh, and it's put on by my homie Dean Best Magazine. Uh, it's it's uh, hot rods, motorcycles. It'd be cool to maybe have a couple like really high class mopeds uh, for show. Like I brought um, uh, I brought a vintage Triumph last year. I brought my uh, Triumph scooter, uh, Triumph Tigress, uh, electric start. Um, don't know what I'm bringing this year. I'm gonna probably bring something weird and rowdy, um, but it'd be cool maybe to have a couple of heads in there. Dude, um, that'd, be, just to, that'd be sick, dude. Yeah. Let me let me know the details, like for sure. Because yeah, like, yeah. my my homies in North Carolina, they have like I know a couple of those dudes in that club. They have a bunch of really rare bikes that like got imported like in the last year. So there's we yeah. got a couple of cool mopeds that we could definitely bring out. Yeah, that 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 would be some flavor. Like someone had a bunch of mini bikes last year, some like QA50s and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, just. You know, it's all about having some like really cool stuff. There's no prizes really to win. It's just showing your, it's just showing cool stuff off. Choppers, hot rods, you name it. So uh, it's called the Congregation Show. Um, but yeah, that'd be good to like tie you guys in, get the scene going. Hell yeah, I'm down. But, yeah, all right, we're gonna have some uh, some off the clock uh, chats about projects and stuff moving forward. So uh, looking forward to, to having those dialogues with you. Nice. I'm down. All right, dude. Uh, let's fucking wrap it up, dude. Um, I'll I'll hit you tomorrow, and yeah. we'll fucking we'll we'll chat, dude. We'll catch up. And I'll, yeah, definitely when I fight about the the congregation show stuff. I know. I think our homie from um Engine and Frame went down last year. I think he had a bike in it. I can't remember. Yeah, he's got a Harley shop in here in Richmond. But yeah, that'd oh, be yeah. sick. Bring we, a bunch of mopeds down. Yeah, bring a bunch of mopeds down. We're always down there. So uh, yeah, dude, it's just a fucking good time. We rip around the city. Just have a good time, good laugh. Uh, yeah, so always just 
So it's just just one of the best times I have during the year. Nice. Sick. All right, so, dude. Yeah. That's it. Fucking sure. Call it night. Fucking wrap it up. Uh, I'll hit you tomorrow, dude. We'll catch you up. Uh, thanks, yep. again, thanks again for taking the time to do this, dude. I appreciate it. Like, like I said, no you worries. have a you have a cool journey of like two wheeled adventures and kind of a little, you know, different like progression than a lot of people had. You know, you got this is you're probably one of the people who've gotten like more deep than 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 a lot of others. You know, yeah. like <laughs> I appreciate it. I, I I have I have some cool stuff that I'll share off off the cuff that happened at the TT. I can't talk about it right now, but uh, it's it's game changing for me. So oh, sick. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be able to share that in maybe a future podcast of what's going to happen. But yeah, whenever, uh, anytime you want to come on, dude, you're down. Yeah. I'm yeah. yeah but, but I don't mind sharing in private, um, what, what we got going on, but, but yeah, absolutely, man. Let's, let's keep this ball rolling. Let's get people more stoked to, to be in this. Hell yeah. All right, bro, dude. I love you, man. Thanks for yep. chatting. Yeah. Appreciate it. Cheers, right. man. Bye. Later. Greg. Yep. Dude, thank you guys for taking the time to listen. Again, that's Muppet Money Podcast. Another episode down. Uh, we'll be back next week. I'm not gonna slack. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna forget you. Um, Puddle cutters. I have not forgotten. Oh, you guys, a rally prize for next weekend's rally. Um, I'm looking at the stuff right now. It's in the. It's in the room. It's all folded up. I'm gonna get it in the mail. Hopefully, tomorrow or Tuesday. Probably Tuesday. I'm not sure if this I think the post office is closed tomorrow, holiday, Juneteenth. I don't know if they are or not. But I think they are. Uh anyway, that's it, guys. Thanks for listening. I'm up on the podcast. We're you know, we're hanging. We're in here. We're doing the thing. Dude, speaking of mopeds, I don't know if you guys saw my fucking feed this week. Like, I'm like, cool, I'm gonna bring my hobbit back to life. Like, you know, get it give it a nice freshen up for the season. You know, like I had a little soft seas and I was like, oh, I could buy a piston, keep it going. No big deal. And like treats didn't have any pistons in stock. And I was like, oh, well, like a metric kit without the head is like, isn't that much more expensive. Like no big deal. I'll just buy the fucking kit. So I get the kit and I'm like, you know, it's mopeds. You want to play with it? Like, I'm just like going to case match a little bit. So I case matched to the gaskets I had for my last kit. And I was like, all right, cool. That looks good. I was like, you know, playing with my, like, you know, my transfer edges a little bit. And I was like, oh, like, let me, let me raise the exhaust a little bit. See what happens. You know, it's a moped. Fuck it, right? You know, play with it. Get a Dremel out. Do some shit. And I know, I know, I know. Like, you should, like, put tape on your fucking Nicosol lining on the inside when you're, like, you know, hitting shit with a Dremel. And, you know, to help prevent your fucking Nicosol from chipping. And I didn't do that. I was like, I lifted it a little bit. I was dribbling it. Like, it looked good. I look inside. I hit it with a hand file a little bit, chamfer some. And I'm like, cool, that feels all right. And I was like, oh, let me give it a little bit more. So I give it a little bit more. And, I, and I'll go back to, like, hit it with the file to, like, chamfer the edge. And I, and I was like, fuck. It chipped. And I couldn't, I couldn't leave well enough alone, dude. It was all right. I didn't really have to touch it at all, but I was like, I'm going to do it anyway. Fuck it. Let's see what happens. And, and then it chipped and I was like, damn it. So like I made a little video, posted it on Instagram. And I was like, bummer fucking town USA. And I was like, you know, I, I, I was like, I don't know what to do, dude. Like I could keep raising the exhaust port some more, you know, fuck it, you know, just send it. No big deal. Like just ride it, see what happens. And I don't know. I was just, whatever. Like it's a hundred bucks. Like I can get another one if I need to, I don't care. So I was just like, 
I just chamfered the edge a little more, like, you know, made sure everything felt all right, felt around, cleaned it all out, and slapped it together. I put my pipe on, which I had to weld. Like, my crank pipe is, like, been peed up really bad. Like, my, it's not my, it's not anyone's fault but my own, though. Like, my, like, MLM subframe, like, one the mounting hole had broken, so I had to make, like, a new mounting location and, like you know, make new bolts and like my, what my pipe back together like three times? Like, cause I fucking, I'm rough on my shit. I take my moped in the fucking woods, dude. I ride trails on my fucking Hobbit. I don't give a fuck. Like I'm having a blast with it. it it's <laughs> I ride it hard and put away wet, but like, you know, I slap it all back together and I, I fire the bike up and like, you know, gave it, gave a couple heat cycles, retorque the head. And, you know, today I took it out for a little spin. Like tonight I was like, all right, cool. Like I got a little delay before I got to start the podcast. So I'm going to like, you know, go take a little night spin father's day, get, get out there and get it. Shout out all the moped dads out there. And the bike felt great. Like I feel sick. I don't know. Like still to this day, I still think my hobbit's like the best feeling moped I own. Like the Fox like does its thing. It feels great. Like my Cobra was like fun to ride, but you know, it's, E50 had to wait for it to get there a little bit. Like my, my Derby box is a ripper. Like I enjoy all my mopeds, but like I still do my like metric Hobbit is like the best feeling moped. Like just like the way it hits the way it revs. Like you always hear it revving. The pipe sounds great. Like taking my pipe is louder than others. Like <laughs> Ryan definitely offered to like, you know, send me some, like, uh, the new baffle so you could like pack it and stuff. But I was like, Oh no, dude, like loud bikes save lives, bro. And so it's probably the loudest moped in Richmond. Like it's insanely loud, but at the same time, I kind of get a little smile on my face when I see like, you know, small children and like mothers like covering their ears as I ride down the street. I'm like, yeah, I got them. <laughs> But yeah, dude, I don't know. Bike felt great. Um, fucking yeah, I enjoyed it. Like, I think it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be ripping hard. I think I'm gonna ride it just the way it is the rest of the summer. And like, you know, if I need to like change the cylinder or something later, I will. But until then, I'm gonna fucking ride it till she breaks, dude. You know? Oh, I fucking forgot to tell you. I got a fucking, I got a temp gauge. I was like, ooh, let me get a temp gauge as I tune in. I can at least see what it's doing. And the temps are holding great. You know, I hit 350, like after a long stretch, you know, taking I'm not really full throttling it right now because I just put it on. But like 351 is the hottest it got. And then as soon as I hit a stoplight, it was like down to like 290. And I'm like, OK, like this, this seems pretty legit. But at the same time, this fucking temp gauges, dude, with the, the little switch, you can check the time or whatever. Like, I don't I don't think that I think that's dumb. Like, I don't care about the time. I don't need to know what time it is. Like, I can wear a watch or check my phone or something. Like, like it, I guess it was, like, the little switch, like, vibrating. So, it kept, like, switching from, like, the temperature to the clock. And I was like, oh, this thing's annoying. So, I don't know. I'm going to ride it like that for a week or so. And then I'll probably just take the temp gauge back off so I don't have to keep staring at it. Like, because I can't, like, not look at it. Like, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like staring at it riding down the street. It's not, not safe for me. <laughs> but, yeah. That's it. You guys want to support the podcast, you can go to MuppetMonday.com and pick up something from the store. We got hoodies, shirts, whatever, a bunch of swag. And, um, yeah, dude, um, if you are in a Muppet club and you need some shirts printed for your rally or an upcoming event, hit your boy up. I can do you take care of all your screen printing needs. And, yeah, don't forget the password for this episode is Motary. 
like, you know, check out the episode title. It's right there. Look up, you know, click your phone. You'll see it. That, that, you know, that shit. Email it to us at mopinmoneypodcast at gmail.com. And my homie Greg is going to be hooking up that gift card for next week's episode so you can get some sweet stuff from his motor shop. But yeah, that's it. Fuck your car. Ride a moped. So, um, what are your favorite moped sounds? Fuck your car. Ride a moped. I don't know. Like, touch a flower. Is it moving? Like, no, nah, feel free locked up. Sounds like you're fucked, dude. Oh, boy. Wah, wah, wah.